Hey everyone, welcome to Health Addicts. Before we get started though, remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about the information and content on this show, ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, Tommy J here. Welcome back to the Health Addict Show. So I know it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. It's just been busy. Health systems are overwhelmed with this COVID and changed the practice of the entire health system. And between promotions and moving around inside the health system, it's just been hard really to do a podcast. There's a lot of research that goes into these podcasts that I do. So it's just been hard to put them out. Um, I'm actually going to try and stay on doing podcasts. They won't be as informational loaded as I normally do. I'll probably just talk about current health topics, talk about COVID updates that I've seen inside the health system. We'll probably still do as many as I can as far as the research-based ones that I do, but I'm probably going to keep it more of just a discussion-based podcast versus an informative podcast as I normally do. So to get right to it, the hospitals are starting to finally slow down, which is what we want. We want the numbers to keep going down because obviously this coronavirus COVID-19 has been an incredible virus to battle. I've never seen something in my health career such as this. Um, H1N1 was definitely not on this level. So this is something new that a lot of hospitals are dealing with. And just the practices of making sure that we don't spread it is super interesting. Um, even though it's more still a droplet precaution, as we call it, we're just trying to minimize the amount of droplets that are produced and aerosolization of the virus itself. But it's not like a normal virus. We watch it shift and change and just diagnosing people with COVID has been such a hassle. Um, whether it's the nasal swabs, people aren't going deep enough. I mean, you have to get into the nasal pharynx to really get a positive ID with us. And even then, it's still misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis until we can get a lung sample, such as a decompensated patient that's on a ventilator and needing a breathing machine. And we were able to get sputum and then we can get a positive test because even this antigen test that we're doing for blood tests, We've had a lot of erroneous results with that because we'll have a negative with the antigen test, but a positive with the nasal pharynx test. So it's really hard to test these patients that are COVID positive or COVID negative. And it makes so what are some things that we have noticed, though, inside the hospital? And that is the hydroxychloroquine, this anti-malaria medication. I haven't seen any really positive impact. I know there's been some studies that have said it showed impact, but as far as our actual patient to recovery moment, the actual timeline has stayed the same. Um, there's been like a three week period for it takes for these patients to have this inflammatory response to where the cytokine storm just kind of settles down. Patients start creating their own antibodies that can fight the virus itself. Um, so the hydroxychloroquine and the other malarial medications haven't been really working. And I think the CDC has been kind of been on board with that and the WHO. They've said that it really hasn't been showing that much result. Um, another good thing, though, is the redesmavir, these other antivirals, those have actually have shown just a little bit of progress, which is great because anything we can do to help soften the blow that these patients are having with the cytokine storm and the 
tremendous inflammatory response that does happen, it's been great. So, um, but generally it's a three week period. These patients are really, really sick for three weeks straight. Um, they will need ventilatory or oxygen requirement support just to help them get through, which, you know, is kind of expected. You know, anyone that's having this inflammatory response to it, they're going to get sick. They're going to decompensate and we just have to fight through it. And, you know, patients have been staying so strong, too. There's such a morale booster that comes with this virus. And we've just been pushing patients to, hey, let's stay positive. Let's get through this. And the support system has just been fantastic. It's not something like you see with any other patients that have the flu and flu A, flu B, um, H1N1 still even around if you don't even think about it, H1N3. Um, there is other types of coronaviruses that patients get sick with or um, any other type of virus. I mean, there's just, there's such a different kind of perspective that we have with it. And we've been pushing patients like, hey, you're gonna get better, we can do this. I know it sucks now, but we'll get better. And it seems to be helping out a lot. Um, I know other parts of the country have been having different outlooks with it. I, I just know with being a research institution and working really hard to research on these patients and see what works, what doesn't work. Um, it's just been a humbling experience to actually see these patients get better. So I know there's a lot of things in the media that says, hey, why am I still wearing a mask? And I know there was two doctors in California that put a very compelling argument out about how we're decreasing our immune system just by washing our hands so much and wearing masks and not introducing other microbiomes into our body. But this is not the time to kind of explore that. We need to gently push this back into this because I mean, we're on the downtrend, which is great. There's other areas of the country that are on the uptrend. And now with the rioting happening in the streets and for good reason, because that was a terrible thing that happened. But this can also affect how people are gonna transmit the virus to each other. Cause I'm sorry, you're throwing tear gas into the public, which causes people to cough. You're in close contact and proximity with people. You're fighting people that necessarily don't have to be fought with. And it's causing all this overexposure of things that doesn't need to happen. But the point of the story is, even though we should start opening things back up. You know, with the downtrending and everything, it is time to start opening businesses. Because honestly, from a financial standpoint, hospital systems, small business owners, large business owners, um, our actual financial situation as a state and a country, we need to start opening and allowing businesses to provide services again. Because we're going to set ourselves on a very bad situation to where we won't be able to recover economically if we don't. So. There are safe practices in place. I mean, masks on, wash your hands. I mean, we can provide these services to people. I mean, even the hair salon thing, that's silly to me, or gyms too. I mean, we're in close proximity in Home Depot, Lowe's, Myers, Walmart. There's no difference in opening these other positions and other restaurants and other businesses if we just use safe practices as well. So uh, we need to start opening up businesses as a whole, but we still need to practice safe practice. I know a lot of people think that the masks aren't doing anything. It's part of the herd immunity. If we don't spread the virus as effectively as the virus wants us to, I mean, it wants us to cough and wants to spread. It wants to invade cells and wants to reproduce because it has to, it needs a host to survive. So if we're doing these other safe practices that allow us 
to still communicate, still go out in public, but not spread the virus as easy until we can officially make either a vaccine, a way to reduce the effectiveness of the virus itself. Because unfortunately, I don't think it's gonna go away. Look how fast this virus has mutated, even a jumping species barrier to species barrier. I mean, it's already on five or six different species that it's able to invade. So this is an important concept to understand that we're not gonna just get rid of this virus just by social distancing and limiting interactions. We have to actually figure out a way chemically how to stop this virus from invading cells, which we have started to use drug therapies that stop the enzyme, which the virus uses to invade cells. Um, vaccines are another great option, which are in the works, but again, the virus mutates very rapidly, so it's gonna be hard to make a vaccine that specifically marks the antigens for this specific virus. Yeah, the SARS-2 COVID-19 virus we could probably make, but who knows who, how fast it can mutate probably by that point. So just to understand that even though it feels like you don't need a mask in public or this hand hygiene therapy isn't working, it's very much working. Talk about significant reduction in cases just because of it. And if we're gonna open up businesses and have social interactions, we need to still have a process in place. So some important takeaways from it. Um, Dr. Fauci, part of our administration with the Trump administration for health, he says there's going to be a vaccine that's going to be ready. Honestly, I'm highly doubtful that's going to be ready very soon. And if it is the effectiveness of it, we'll just see how it comes out. Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, with people so mad at the government right now too, it's hard to see how many people will actually take the vaccine since our vaccine rates with even the regular flu isn't very high. Um, but hopefully more people can understand that most of the people in the government are actually on our side. You have some really big hotheads and some bad apples that you're using to kind of think that the government's against you. It's, it's definitely not part of it. So understand, especially if you have CDC guidelines and WHO guidelines, these are there to help protect you. It's the idea that these people in these higher up positions are professionals in their field and have done years and years of research. Um, they definitely deserve where they need to be at. And to use one or two doctors as your credible source versus an entire administration that have worked hard and together to make guidelines to help you, it's very important to understand that. Now, yes, there is some things. Um, obviously, the mask on thing was a weird situation. I think um, we understood that nobody wants to put out statements that they can't 100% feel confident and prove that this will help limit exposure. Um, that was part of the CDC's original statement. They weren't completely sure if masks would help or not help. So I would say still use safe practices overall. And that's my personal opinion, okay? That's 100% based on research and what we've been using for years and years and years to help stop spread droplet infections. And especially right now, if it's to protect you. Um, do I think you need a gas mask or an N95 mask to help protect you in public? No, but you definitely don't wanna to be touching your face. You want your face covered so it's not, because I mean, these droplets are large that you would get into your nose, your nasal pharynx, your oral pharynx, because the virus is only a nasal and oral pharynx virus. It's not something that gets in your digestive tract and you infect that way. You have to inhale the virus. So that's how the primary source of infection is. It's not blood transfer, it's not soil transfer, it has to be inhaled. So just protect yourself. 
and wash your hands regularly. So just a couple more things. It is summertime again now, so let's try to protect ourselves. You definitely need to be using sunscreen if you're going out in the hot summer sun. That'll make sure that your skin stays protected against the UV rays. I mean, you want at least a 50 to 70, especially if you haven't been tanning outside. Once you build up a little bit of tan, you can start using lighter amounts, but you should be using some kind of sun protection if you're staying out in long periods in the sun. Um, it is tick season again, so make sure you're checking yourself for ticks. Um, if you don't remember how to remove a tick, the CDC has a great way to explain it, but pretty much you want to grab the tweezers by the head. You want to make sure you get the head out. You never want to crush the tick in your fingers or crush the tick and leave the head in the skin because there's a lot of, uh, I mean, ticks are vectors for disease as well. I mean, Lyme disease is one of the biggest ones. I mean, there's a lot of other diseases that they can spread, but you just want to make sure you're not pushing the tick, pushing these vectors right, or pushing the pathogens right into you because this is most important. And if you are worried about maybe something coming along, keep the tick for a couple days. And if you start seeing an infection or you start getting a fever, then you can bring the tick in actually. And the physicians or your primary doctor actually test the tick for diseases and you could be treated way sooner than you would if you were like down the road, oh, I have contracted this disease and it's been a year that the disease has been inside your body. So. If you're feeling like you might be worried, keep the tick even. Keep it in a container, keep it in a baggie. I mean, and then they, it doesn't have to be alive. And then you can always get the tick tested in the future. All right, folks, that's it for this podcast. I, I know it's a weird, different platform. I'm on the road, though, and it, it's just the easiest way to kind of get some health information out there that I want to talk about. And hopefully you guys get something from it. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, or you want to hear about another health topic, let me know. Hit me on all the social media platforms. I'd love to hear from you. Take care, folks. Stay addicted to your health, and I will see you next time.